All right, well, to get us started, you may be seated. And kids, you may head off to Kids Church, that's this way. And being the first Sunday of the month, we are in October, I don't know how that happened already. Middle schoolers, it's your door over there, you guys can head that way. We'll miss you terribly. All right. Well, it's been uh, a really another incredible week to be a part of you. I, it's, it's seriously, it's weekly that I, I come into some place where I'm just shocked that I get to be a part of this with you. And, and because of, you know, my role as the, the, the teaching pastor and everything, I, I find out about this stuff. And I find out about the people who are coming from the food pantry because uh, they volunteered there that day. And, and the people who are looking to make things right, and, and uh, the men and women who, uh, who have set, we're, we're seven weeks out from, from Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, seven. It's October already. And the ones who are praying and fasting for our church, and, and on the spiritual end, and on the practical end, and everywhere in between, I, I just keep hearing amazing things. And I... I just, it's overwhelming to me, and, I, and I'm really grateful. And so, whether you're one of the people who's been at Brookside for who knows how long, you've lost track, or maybe you're only here for a few weeks and you're trying to figure this thing out, and, and everywhere in between, or maybe, maybe you're not even, not even sure what you do with this Jesus thing, but someone dragged you here today, and you're like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, we sing at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. It's a thing we do. Wherever you are. We're so grateful that you're you and that you're with us. We don't have some, you've got to like live up to a standard uh, for us to like you, but rather we just want to get to know you and we're so grateful. So thanks. Well, I'm going to uh, continue us on a series here and I'm a little under the weather. So if I cough in your ear with a microphone, I'm really sorry, but I got, I've got my cough drop in, which is a total speaker. No, no, but it seemed better than coughing in your face. And then, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I want to pray. Father, as we dive back into the Old Testament for, uh, for one more time here um, in this series, I want to ask that you'd give open hearts. I want to ask that you would help people to understand these stories that can feel so foreign, so far away, so hard to understand, or at least hard to understand why I should know about them. Father, I ask you to give us eyes to see not just the story that you've been telling, but even um, how it fits into the story that you're inviting us to. Thanks. Amen. Well, I guess as I just prayed, we are wrapping up a series. Uh, on, we've been going to the, to the great covenants of the Old Testament. We looked at the covenant God made with Abraham a couple weeks ago. Last week we looked at the covenant, the Ten Commandments, and the covenant with Israel. But today is my favorite. And you know, we all have our like personal favorites. And, and, and if, you had to, if you grew up in church and learned about, well, you know, we call them the Old Testament heroes or whatever. Uh, and then it's funny, you find out later, it's hard to call them heroes because they're often their lives are more messed up even than our own. But here's what they had in common. They tried to find God. And we get to be a part of their journey. And, and today is my favorite. King David, he's a man, uh, took the throne about 3,000 years ago in Israel and, um, and all the things that God did. But we need to do the run up up to that. And so let's jump in. I'm, okay. Okay. Um, uh, so somehow that's not lining up with that. That's okay. All right. In order to tell a story, in order to jump into these things, what we end up doing is we, if we're not careful, we end up saying, okay, here's my story. Here's my life, God, and I'm in it. And I'm interested to see if you can come and, and make my story a little bit better. 
That's sort of the normal human way of approaching God, you, I, all of us. But if we're not careful, we'll miss the God saying, hey, I've been telling a story for thousands of years, and you have an incredible part in it, and if you could see it. And so what we do is we pull the camera lens back, and we've been doing this, and so understanding God's story, we always start with the way God made things. So here's, here's God. And uh, I figured out how to put a halo on this week. Did you catch that? Good stuff, all right. Um, and then, of course, you know, and, and you read the story. God made the sun and the trees and, and you know, throw some birds in there. Right? We put those in. But the important piece for us to understand, at least for our joining the story, is that, well, frankly, we joined the story. So here's us and God. And God says, all the rest of the universe is a place I'll just go ahead and rule. I'll take care of it. But you, you humans, I want you to rule earth with me. Uh, we've been using kind of a, as a quick analogy, if you could imagine a father who had a big corporation with all sorts of facets and all sorts of little companies, a part of it. And he says to his kings, all right, this one company right here, we're going to run this one together. Okay, that's, that's an easy way for us to think about it. But the second part of the story then would be the way the rebellion changed things. And so when we, when we talk about the way the rebellion changed things, we would imagine the kids who are supposed to be running the company with their dad said, no way, we'll run it ourselves, you know, something like that. And so for my picture, because I lost some artistic skills, right there, we fell down a well. Okay, we're, we're at the bottom of this place, we're broken, and, and we as humans, we as you and I in the 21st century America, although many of us were born back in that former millennium, the 20th century, we, uh, yeah, you kids, jeez, the 20th century was amazing, I don't know what I'm talking about, okay, we found ourselves at the bottom of the well. And so much so that it's our norm, this world that we look around with, with elections and cars and roads and jobs and everything else like that, that's so our normal that we were, we were baptized into that story, that that was our way of being, that it's hard for us to imagine that humanity's story was once not like this. And so when we think about God, we say, can you meet us here? And of course, that's exactly what comes next. He does. God could have said, climb your way out of the stupid well. You got yourself into it. You get yourself out of it. But instead, God realized humanity was never going to earn its way back to him, ever. No matter how much we try, no matter how many rules we make, humanity never earns their way toward God. Rather, God comes and meets us. And so there's God in the well. And then, of course, if we're really going to tell the story, it's nice that God meets us here, but we have to figure out how does God lead us out? Jesus leads us out. That's the whole story. But back there, that third point, the way God meets us is what the Old Testament's really about. It's understanding who this God is. So rather than God being aloof and saying, I'll stay far off and you come find me, God says, I'm going to come meet you. And one careful step at a time, first in, in the stories we've been telling with Abraham, he says, I'm going to make a people amongst the nations who will be my people. And then last week we looked at how God gives them his law and his ways and even a temple so we can worship. And, and then, of course, each of those weeks we found out the way Jesus leads out that you and I, we've been invited to be a part of God's people. If you ever had to learn that, uh, that ch ch uh, children's church song, Father Abraham had many sons, the idea is that Abraham began a people of God and we're invited by adoption into that. And then, and then we found out that we are the temple and we're the priesthood who are, who are not just God's presence to mankind, but God's uh, the opportunity of mankind to come and meet God as well. And today we want to look one more time. But in order to do it, we have to 
to catch up with the story. So last we checked with the people of Israel, they had God's law, and they're going to go do it, and, 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 and they end up entering the promised land under the rule, uh, under the rule, the leadership of a man named Joshua. And if you read the book of Joshua, they, they march in the battle of Jericho and all these great things, but then the wheels come off. After that generation dies out, the people begin to turn to whatever gods they want to. And if you ever read, it's in the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is super sad. It's just judge after judge is worse and worse and worse and worse. And near the end of the book, this line starts to appear, and, and this is actually the close of the book. The conclusion of the matter was, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Humanity has a way of saying, when I'm king, when I, the way Adam and Eve did it, the way we have been doing it, when we look at God and say, you know what, forget you, I'll go my own way, we actually begin to warp our reality because it's like, it's like a child. If you have children, have you ever noticed that they have this incredible sense of fairness that is 125% slanted toward themselves? When the world is, uh, when fairness slants toward them, they like it. They never argue. You'll rarely hear a child go, whoa, that's unfair. I got a little extra today. <laughs> I need it to be fair. No, no, it's when I get less. We slant our morality. We slant our everything toward ourselves, and we don't even really recognize how much we do it. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And I think we live in a culture that looks like that. That is increasingly saying, we know right and wrong, and we'll put God on the, on the defense stand and say, God, we have our law, and we're going to see if you live up to it. And I think not just the arrogance of that, but even the disaster that comes is exactly what happened there. And so what happens after that, and the and you, judges ends, and then Samuel picks up, and, and all the people come to Samuel. Samuel was the judge at the time. And they gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said, Behold, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us to king to judge us like the nations. That line's terribly important. Because this could mean that, that they're saying, hey, we just want a king. Or they're saying, we have a picture of what we want kinghood to look like. Kingship? King? And, and we want one of those. And that's really important because what happens next is that Samuel... It's displeased. It says the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us, um, give us a king to judge us. And, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord said, obey the voice of the people and all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So either, because and, and, we get taught this, either it's saying God didn't want them to have a king at all, or God is talking about the style of king that they want. And we'll look at it today, and I think it might be the second one. So let's check out how it works. So it says, They've rejected me from being king over them, and according to all the deeds they've done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, they've been forsaking me and serving other gods, so that they are doing the same to you. Turns out the human heart for rebellion is uh, not a, a modern thing, it is an always thing. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them all the ways of the king who will reign over them. And Samuel's supposed to go, look, you want a king like the nations? I'll give you a king like the nations, only you're going to have to. And that's what happens. And a man named Saul is made king over the, uh, over the people of Israel. And at first, Saul's amazing. You see, Saul, like most of us, wants to make a deal with God. Saul wants to say, look, God, I'm all in on the God train. I am yours. I'll do the sacrifice. I'll do whatever. As long as you protect my crown, God, I'll worship you. Notice he wants to cut a deal with God. If you stay on my side, God, I'll stay on yours. 
That is the heart of us all. And so when the day comes that Samuel's late and the people are starting to scatter and, and Samuel start to worry about it, rather than stay faithful to God, he tries to take matters into his own hand or there's this deal where he tries to like make a sacrifice rather than do it the right way. And after all of this, where you can really see Saul has showed his heart and, uh, with the whole sacrifice incident, and it takes place in Samuel 13, 1 Samuel 13, and it says that Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord could have established your kingdom over Israel forever. If you'd had a heart to put God first and your crown second, this could have worked out. But no, you're the other type. Now your kingdom will not continue. For the Lord has sought out, this, there's this famous line, a man after his own heart. A man after his own heart. Somebody whose heart looks like or tries to look like God's, and we'll talk about how David fits that, and that's, that's the great line about David. And the Lord has commanded this man, this David, to be prince over his people because you have not kept the command of the Lord your God. And then Saul doubles down on it, and there's, a, there's an incident where he's, there's some people who have uh, really been attacking them and waylaying them are called the Amalekites, and the Amalekites are bad news. And they're commanded to go, uh, to go fight them and conquer them, but they're not allowed to take any spoils from it. And of course, Samuel does, and, or Saul does, and so when Saul returns, Samuel walks up to him, and, and he's got all of these spoils from war that he wasn't supposed to have, and Samuel came to Saul and said to him, or, or Saul, Saul says to Samuel, I apologize, blessed be you to the Lord. Let's pretend our God things all together. Blessed, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He didn't. And Samuel said, well, well then what's the sound of bleeding of sheep I hear? in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear. What's going on? And Saul said, well, they, <laughs> these other people, yeah, they've brought them up from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep of the oxen as a sacrifice to the Lord. This is the deal where we say to God, God, I know it's not what you want, but I figured out how to do your work better for you. This is why you should accept my way over yours because it's in your favor, God. I've got you covered. I think all of us have tried that game with God, haven't we? Maybe you're dating a person you shouldn't be dating, and we're like, yes, but Lord, if I, if I date them just right, maybe they'll, maybe they'll come become a Christian, and it's going to work out, God. Trust me, this is going to work out. No, it won't. Or maybe you're, uh, you've got that sin you've been hanging on to. You're like, God, I need that because of this, and here's how it's going to work out. No. Saul is so like us, or we're all so like him. He did it first 3,000 years ago. So Samuel continues on, why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? Why did, why did you pounce on the spoil and, 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 and do, or not do what, was, or do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, well, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, but the people, it's their fault. They took the sheep and the ox and the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord. He, now he's doubled down. Now not only is he trying to tell God why disobeying him is in God's best interest, he's also blaming at this point I, need to, point, I need to stop because I want to show you how Saul's just a player in a bigger story. All right, so we're going to do a little compare and contrast here between Saul and Father Adam. So I got Saul, he's the first king of Israel, and I got Adam. Adam is the first king of humanity. Remember, God said he was made in his image and take, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion of the earth. The kingship of humanity began with Adam, so they're both the first, right? Saul disobeys God. Well, Adam, yeah, that one was easy, right? And of course, Saul's way of doing it was taking the spoils that were told not to him. And of course, Adam took the fruit, told him not to do. And when God, uh, God 
talks to him about it. Saul blames the army. It's, oh, it's the people's fault. It's everyone else's fault. And of course, Adam, right? Blamed Eve. It was the woman you gave me, God. Really, that's the only reason this thing came off the wheels. Do you see the picture? When the people asked for a king like the nations, God gave them a king like all the kings who have come before, the sort who say, I could do the God thing, I suppose, as long as my crown comes first. As long as my crown comes first. Adam took his crown out from underneath God's feet, and of course in the curse that crown turned to thorns. That's why there's thorns in the curse. That's why Jesus on the cross is wearing Adam's cursed crown so that he can take all of it. Well, we haven't gotten to the Jesus part. I'm skipping ahead because we need to turn the page. So after that incident in chapter 15, Samuel is told to go find this man after God's own heart. And so this is the chapter. So Saul did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. That's where he's told to go, and he doesn't know what it's going to be. And the elders of the city come out, and they know that Samuel and Saul are at odds. And so they're like, oh, is this going to go bad for us? <laughs> is this going to be war? Do you come peaceably? And Samuel said, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice. And, and he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so now we've got the family. Jesse is David's dad. And when they came, he looked on Eliab, which is a good Bible name. Why don't you name your kids Eliab? It actually means El is God and Ab is Abba, Father. God is my father. It's a good name. Uh, I didn't name my kids Eliab, so I can't complain. But he's uh, Jesse's oldest. And Samuel looks at him and says, oh, this is the guy. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, and this is why I put this in here, do not look on the appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. When God looks at hearts, he's not looking at what we're looking at. He's not looking at the things that we're sure will make our kingship. Because every time we think we found the right king, we find another Adam, Saul figure. And instead God says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's the heart, it's the heart, it's the heart. So then Samuel said to Jesse, all your sons are here. And, and Jesse said, well, uh, the remains the youngest, the runt. That can't be the, the one you're looking for. But, but behold, he's keeping sheep. And Samuel said, send and get him, for we'll not sit down here until he comes. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For, I, I skipped ahead because there's an appearance of David, and he takes a number of verses. And so when David arrives, the Lord says, anoint, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him. And we crown kings, they take a whole like quart of oil, dump it on the head which signifies sort of like a symbolic, the Holy Spirit coming on him. And look what happens when the oil comes on him and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David in a very oily manner. From that day forward, David is the king. And, and if you know the story, what ends up happening is it takes, a, we're not sure how long, the guess is about 16 years of, of Saul remaining king. And once he finds out who David is, he tries to kill him. There's the throwing the spear at him. There's all sorts, you can read about it in the books of First and Second Samuel. They are amazing. Some of the best Old Testament books you can read. Not a long list of names, but just really great narrative. Seriously, if you're not reading anything, try it out. It's amazing. But David becomes king. And it's not that he does everything right. Only when David does things wrong, and there's the whole Bathsheba incident, for instance, rather than looking and blaming, rather than trying to explain why, why he's right and God's wrong, he just repents. And, and you can read about that in Psalm 51, where he actually repents of that incident. And, and David has, actually has an incident where one of his sons tries to take over, and rather than being like Saul, who would try to throw a spear and kill him, David actually leaves Jerusalem 
so that God can decide who's the appropriate king. You see, unlike Saul, David says, I have my God, that's what I need, and if there's a crown, that's cool too. Saul says, I have a crown, and if God fits in, that's cool too. David says, I have my God, and if he gives me something to rule or something to do, that's his business. But God is what I need. That is what separates the two. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and David's kingdom is established in Jerusalem, and, 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 and he looks out and he notices that the, the tabernacle is still a tent tabernacle, and he thinks, I get to live in a palace, but God's living in a tent. I'd like to build a temple, and there's this, there's this deal where he asks if he can, and so it says, now when the king lived in his, oh, go back. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him uh, rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, Samuel's dead by this point, see now I dwell in the house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. Now, therefore, you shall say to my servant David, and, and God is now talking to Nathan because I skipped ahead. Thus said the Lord of hosts, talking to David, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people of Israel. And, I've, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the great ones of the earth. And he continues and says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David just wanted to help build a temple and there's a whole deal where God says, you're a man of war and I want it to be a son of peace and David has a son named Solomon, and Solomon, if you, if you say the word, Hebrew word shalom, shalomon, Solomon's son of peace. And Solomon's the prince, so that makes him the prince of peace, right? And Solomon does build the physical temple, but when he does build it, he knows that this can't really house God, that no building can really house God. And, 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 but Solomon's not the son who's going to be king forever, because generations later, Jesus, the son of David, comes. Jesus, the son of David, comes, who builds a temple, which is you and I, and he's the one. And here's David, who just wanted to build a temple, and God says, I have a better thing. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make you a king forever. So we began with Abraham, with a people. And we moved on toward Moses, where that people was given a way to meet with God, a tabernacle, and a law on how to live God's way. And of course, we know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to work his law out through us, and we know we're it. But it turns out... Without a king, those people will turn and do what's right in their own eyes. They need a king. There's always been a needed king. So let's pull back the camera lens again, understanding God's story, the way God made things, Eden. In this case, the way the rebellion changed them, we picked up that verse from Judges. In those days, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then we move forward into the Old Testament picture of the story, the way God meets us where we are, the royal covenant, sometimes called the Davidic covenant. If you add IC to the end of a name, it's Davidic. Okay, I like royal, the royal covenant. That God's plan that he has been showing, that he's been, been preparing is now complete. That there would be a people who know how to be the priests, who know how to be the temple, who know how to live his law, who follow their king. And so now we come to how Jesus leads us out. All of this has been pointing to what does this matter to you? So the royal covenant, let's look at David, a king who leads his people into righteousness. Remember, Saul failed to do that, and David's job is to, is to fix the problem of doing what's right in our own eyes to doing what's right in God's eyes. Also, that king wants to build a temple for God. It's, it's his plan. And of course, the son of David is, is going to build that temple. 
But one cool thing about the Old Testament that's different from the New is, in the Old Testament, and it was very peculiar amongst the Hebrew people, or, or sorry, amongst the ancient peoples, royalty was separated from priesthood. In almost every uh, people around them, the king was also the high priest. And of course, they weren't good kings, so they didn't have good high priests. But in David's case, David is of the tribe of Judah, and so he's king, and the high priest is of the tribe of Levi, and so they even are of two different uh, Israelite families. They're not going to be the same thing. But David's job as, as king, see the Old Testament picture isn't the complete picture, is to support the priesthood and vice versa. So back to our picture, I said Saul did all those things, and ultimately, Saul is replaced by David, but Adam... Adam has a replacement as well. In the same way, in a microcosm, in the Israelite people, we had man's king and then God's king. God pulled that microcosm picture so we could see this big picture that Adam fell. Adam destroyed the human relationship, but he's the, he's the one who jumped down a well. He's Timmy in the well, and there's no lassie, right? And Adam is the one who set the human condition at trouble. And if that's the case, we're going to need a David figure only playing on a much bigger stage than just uh, Saul and David. We're gonna, and, and this is exactly what Romans 5 is talking about. So in the book of Romans, Paul's been trying to explain to this, this Jewish audience why Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. And so the Jewish person might have been going, yes, but our law, our law, our law. And he's like, you're missing it. There's something bigger. And in Romans 5... Paul, the Apostle Paul does this compare and contrast between Adam and Jesus, and this is the sum up of it. Therefore, as one trespass, you know, eating a fruit, apple, whatever it is, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, excuse me. <coughs> oh, I was trying so hard not to cough. All right. Uh, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all of us. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And then he says this great line, now the law, because what's the point of the law then? And Paul explains that the law was to increase the trespass. The law was to help us understand how big our rebellion against God really is so that it would be concrete and we would look and say, Ten Commandments or God's law? Yep, we're not it. Something's wrong. But where sin increased... God's grace abounded all the more. See, wherever law increases our sin, all the more we're able to understand God's goodness and, and grace. And it abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign. We need to stop there for a moment. Reigning is king words. So often when we read the New Testament, we miss that Paul is using king words all the time, and so we fail to really see Jesus as king in this thing. But Jesus doesn't reign using overpower. He doesn't send his armies with swords and guns. He doesn't, he doesn't force his way on us. Rather, that he chooses as his power to cause us to obey, to cause us to come under allegiance, is his grace. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, the Bible says. God's plan to get you to want to be a part of his kingdom and to live the kingdom ways and to cause the kingdom to happen in our world, it's not a kingdom of, of overpowering and control, rather it is a kingdom of people who are willing to live his ways because his grace is so great. That's why we sing songs like that song about love. That his love causes, in the end it's his love because where his love reigns and his grace reigns in my life, my life has changed. Righteousness, sorry, that might reign through righteousness, leading, oh, go back, go back. 
I lost my place. Okay. If you can find that verse again, I'd appreciate it. But uh, this is killing me. All right, here we go. Um, through righteousness, leading through the uh, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice I underline those words because Christ is Messiah anointed one. Just as David had oil poured over his head that he might become king, this word Christ literally means God's one who is the promise of David, who he's going to pour his oil on the power of the Holy Spirit, who is going to be the true king. The word Christ is not a last name. It is a making good on the promise to David. Messiah, anointed one, just as David was poured on, so that God pours all of his kingship onto Jesus. That's what, so I really mean it, although Christ means more than just the word king, you will change your reading of the New Testament if you write in pencil right above it, every time you see the word Christ, write the word king to remind you that it's not just a last name. It is a title evoking the greatest of pictures, the one who sets things to right. So, just uh, leading to eternal life through Jesus, the one who sets things to right, our Lord, which means we have made our allegiance to that one. That phrasing, Jesus Christ our Lord, is so packed with meaning. And we as Christians, we use the word Lord when we pray. And it was one of the turning points in my life, by the way, because uh, a man named Scott Bedell looked at me and said, I hear you use that word Lord when you pray. I wonder if it means anything to you, because he knew me well enough to know it really didn't. I was super into my Christianity as a belief system, but my life wasn't really looking like I would have hoped it would. And, and, and it really came down to the fact that I was saying a word that I in no way meant. I wanted to call him Lord, but I didn't want him to rule my life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, he is the great king. So we said that the great picture is a God who comes and meets us. And so we met, he meets us here. But his plan is not to make your house a little nicer and to make your kids obey a little bit more and, and, and to give you enough money that you have a comfortable life because that's not good enough for him. That he looks at you and says, I love you so much that I'm not going to give you that tawdry, boring life that you think will be the good one. Uh, C.S. Lewis gave that great, great idea that so often the, uh, the, the plans of God and the promises of God are, like, he says, it's like an offering of a vacation at the sea, and the children who are playing with mud pies in the street are going, I don't know what that is, but can you help me play with my mud pies? That God's plans for you are so amazing that if you're trying to suck him down into your life and say, hey, can you help me tidy up the well, you'll miss what God has planned for you, how Jesus leads us out. So just as David was the king who leads his people into righteousness, we found out that Jesus is the king who leads his people into righteousness through grace. That's his plan. And just as David was a king who, who built a temple for God, okay, uh, or David is, Jesus is the king who built a temple for God in the hearts of his people but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I are the temple that David thought he was going to try to build, that Solomon built uh, a stone version of, but you're God's real plan to house himself before the nations. And in the same way, or the opposite way, royalty was, um, was separated from the, uh, from the priesthood in David's day. In Jesus, he's both the high priest, he's the king, he's the savior, he's the Lord, he's our God, he's all of it, which is why we both worship him and follow him and live through him and live for him and seek to live like him. That's why we call him master. That's why we call him Lord. And we, when we call ourselves Christians, Christians, it means that we're the people who intend to follow all of that. So let's talk about following Jesus King, and we'll end there. Ben, you guys can come up. Just a couple thoughts.
It's really straightforward. Number one, obey him. It's hard, and I know you look, and, I'm, and we get afraid, and we're like, I'm not sure if you've got my best in mind, God, and, and I don't know if I can do it, but trust him. It's number two. Trust him. He really has a plan for you that's beyond your wildest dreams, and your dreams are broken and tawdry next to what he has planned. And like a child who's like, I'm going to hold on to my broken little thing, and a parent who wants to give him a great thing, trust him, and then follow him. We actually go, I want to be like him. I want to I see how he lives life and do it. And then finally this one, help others follow him. Everything that David and Saul and all of their ups and downs and brokenness was aiming for is this picture right here. A people on earth who love one another, who are the children of Abraham together, who are his temple through the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw that last week. Who obey our Lord, who trust him, who follow him, and invite others to come as well. My name is Jim Zerniak, and I'm one of the elders here at Brookside. Um, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you at some point, so you can find me after the service. So I just have a few announcements this morning, um, four to be exact. Um, so the first one, um, Young Life. Um, young Life is something, and I'm going to talk about this one for a minute, because Young Life is a ministry that is near and dear to uh, my heart and my wife's, and we're on the committee for Young Life in Wood County, and we have a fundraising banquet coming up on October 17th um, at 6.30 at St. Mark's, and we would love uh, for as many of you to be there with us as possible. Um, I know that there are a lot of people in this room that Young Life has impacted uh, in some way, uh, shape, or form, whether that's uh, your life directly and your walk with Jesus or uh, you may have had kids that have been impacted by Young Life, um, or you may have served uh, in some capacity with Young Life uh, in the past. And uh, I have a feeling I wanted to do this. Um, if, you, if that is true of you, um, could you maybe raise your hand for a minute? I just want everybody to kind of look around. And there are a lot of people, if you kind of look back in this room, that have been impacted by Young Life. And, Yes, this is a fundraising banquet. Um, we do require money to uh, function. Uh, but for me, even more importantly than that, uh, if you haven't um, been super involved, we'd love for you to come out and just hear what's going on in this area, um, in Wood County, um, at all the different high schools and middle schools, because um, there's a lot of great things happening. And there's many ways you can serve, um, even if it's not in your budget to give financially. So anyway. Enough of that, but I wanted to kind of um, soapbox on that for a minute. So, um, Fireside Chats uh, is the next one. There's a ladies' Fireside Chat, uh, October 15th, and I believe uh, the Riskies are hosting that one. Sandy is hosting at her house. Um, I don't know what all happens at a ladies' Fireside Chat, because I've never been. Um, there was one that we hosted at our house, and I kind of hid upstairs in the bedroom with the dog the whole time. But my wife says it's really great, um, and there's a lot of good uh, chatting, I, I suppose, amongst ladies, and good, good conversation. So if you are a lady uh, and would like to go, get to Sandy's house on October 15th. What, is there a time on that, though? I didn't have a time down. 
Seven? Okay, awesome. Um, and then October 13th, we have a Make Brookside Your Home. Um, so if you are newer to Brookside and want to kind of understand more about who we are and what we do, um, that is a place for you to be. It's after service um, on October 13th, and I believe we'll have pizza provided, correct? Um, so it, yeah, again, I would encourage you to go to that. Um, and then Steve kind of stopped me. So next week, we're going to have a little bit different service. It's going to be a time of extended worship. Um, and then Steve's going to kind of preach through that a little bit. So it's going to have a little bit different feel, but I think it's going to be really um, impactful and fun. Um, so that's all I have. If you don't mind, I'd love to pray uh, to close our service, and then we can go on from here. Jesus, um, I thank you so much for this um, chance to gather together uh, here in Olds Camp every Sunday and just be uh, amongst friends and family and worship you. Um, God, I pray that this week that we would um, that we would choose to obey you, uh, to trust you, to follow you, and to help others follow you. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for all the work that goes into this service. Um, yeah, and Lord, just be with us this week. Keep us safe. Lord, I pray that we would just um, choose joy and choose to love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.